Welcome to this FinTalk podcast. I'm Dave Beach, reporter on Bob's Guide and Payment Eye. Uh, and today I'm joined by Guy Kirkwood, who is Chief Evangelist at UPath. Guy, thanks for being here. What is a Chief Evangelist? Uh, extremely good question. It's the, it's the best job and the worst job title in the world. It, it actually comes from um, the work that Guy Kawasaki did uh, with Apple. Uh, Steve Jobs asked him to... Uh, to evangelize and try and get as many people to buy Apple Kit as possible. Um, and uh, he said, what we really want to do is get the people who are using Microsoft or MS-DOS. Um, and, and Kawasaki said, no, you can't do that. You, you can't sell to zealots. Um, what you really need to do is, is go after the agnostics. Uh, and that reflects very well, actually, the rise of the RPA market, because three years ago, almost no one knew what RPA stood for. Uh, and so a lot of this is to do with education. The great thing about being a chief evangelist is that it's, it's a bi-directional role. So I'm facing out, talking to the likes of you, uh, to the media, doing press releases, and, um, uh, and uh, talking to analysts, our users, um, our customers, and our partners. Um, and that's, that's the outbound stuff, but I'm also gathering information the whole time. So it's not us that come up with the good ideas, it's people sitting within those, the, those ecosystems mm. that come up with the good ideas. And um, I'm now feeding that back into the organization, to our sales and marketing operation, into our product teams, uh, solution teams, and so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a fantastic role. I've been doing it for uh, 2016, middle of 2016 is when I, uh, when I started doing it. Oh, so it's a two-way street. Um, okay, so, I mean, buzzwords, acronyms, they're just a part of the job that we have yeah. to get on with. Uh, RPA. What is RPA? Okay. Um, robotic process automation, um, you can think about it like um, the physical manifestation of people moving information through and between systems. So there are a number of ways that you can actually automate tasks. Uh, if you think way back to some macros and screen scraping, um, then an Excel macro is automation. So you're taking and recording the actions that you want to do and then replaying those. The trouble with that is that it's very limited. And uh, the thing about RPA is that it's extended that um, so that it cuts across an entire business as opposed to being a point solution. And that's really what's driven the growth. Actually, there's a, there's a very good um, description by um, uh, Michael Janssen um, of Everest. He's their sort of chief um, analyst. And um, he's described the growth in the RPA market as being like a virtuous circle. So RPA is, works through the user interface. It doesn't drill into the data at an API level. So like a, a master data management type program or a big IT project. Um, and so what it means is that you can put it in relatively quickly, it's relatively cheap compared with um, big IT projects, and the returns on investment are very good. Um, there are several things that, that drive that, but <clears throat> and we can cover those later. But essentially, RPA mimics human physical activity of moving information through and between systems. So when Michael was talking about the rise of RPA as a category, um, he was talking about um, all of the platforms are getting better. So as applications change, as if you're operating over Citrix where you're looking at a picture rather than having access to the underlying application, as those underlying applications change, in old times, using simple automations, that broke the automation because things were in a different place. With computer vision and RPA platforms generally, from us, from our competitors like Automation Anywhere and Blue Prism, um, they're now able to handle that data much more easily and it doesn't break when things move around the screen. Um, so <clears throat> as a result of that, what Michael said is that as the platforms are getting better, it's driven up 
um, adoption within organisations. So, I mean, we've got 40% um, of the Fortune 500 as, uh, as customers around the world um, in the last 13 months. Uh, so it's been explosive growth. Actually, interestingly enough, it's, it's fairly lumpy. So it's 35% in the US, 35% in the UK, 40% in France, 50% in Germany, and 80% in, in Japan. Um, and most of that's banking, so we can talk a bit about that later. Um, <clears throat> so what that's doing is it's driving in huge amounts of money from venture capital and private equity organisations. We've raised $400 million uh, this year, um, and we've gone from a unicorn in uh, March um, at a billion dollar, um, billion dollar um, valuation to $3 billion in um, July. So that's um, how fast this is, uh, this is actually accelerating. Um, Automation Anywhere has just raised uh, their Series A funding, um, which is a half a billion dollars. It's just incredible. So what that's then doing is driving in the ability for us as vendors to make build or buy decisions on dealing with the unstructured data. So that's, I mean, if you think about it, 90% of the world's data was produced in the last two years. 80% mm -hmm. of that is unstructured. So in order to automate tasks across your entire enterprise, you need to be able to deal with the structured rules-based activities that RPA traditionally was good at and the unstructured data uh, within organizations. And uh, that requires um, AI-type technologies. So things like natural language processing, um, machine learning, deep neural networks, um, process mining, and so on. Um, and so we're making decisions as to whether we build that or buy that using the money that we've raised from the, uh, from the VC um, companies. And that is improving the platforms. And so it's driving that circle of, of, of growth. Um, and if you look at the, the growth over the last two or three years, every organization has grown massively. So we took 21 months to go from a million ARR, annual recurring revenue, um, because we're a SaaS, software as a service model, um, to 100 million, which, which arguably makes us the fastest growing enterprise software business in history, actually. Um, but Automation Anywhere also grew very fast. And Blue Prism, who created the RPA market, founded in 2002, based in the UK, they floated on the secondary market, the A market in the UK in uh, Easter 2016. Uh, and since then, their share price has gone from 78 pence to over 16 pounds. And stupidly, I didn't buy any shares. Mm, yeah. Well, I, I mean, there's been a lot said at the moment about hypervaluation, particularly within fintech and, and big tech too. I mean, we saw the Apple share price drop fairly significantly. Um, it seems to be you're moving from RPA to AI. They're both under the umbrella automation. Now, yeah. trying to sort of cut through the all these buzzwords, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it, the, the hype in the market is just incredible. But the, I mean, Phil Fersh, who's the um, uh, chief analyst with HFS, Horses for Sources, um, has said that the, the hype is fully justified based on on the growth that we've seen within the market. As organisers recognise that um, there is no choice; they have to automate, um, and. And in fact, Japan is a really good example of that. So in Japan, um, the population peaked in 2010. So the Japanese population as a whole is falling, plus all the baby boomers are retiring. So the Japanese government now um, measure dangerous levels of overwork as being more than 106 hours a week. Now, bearing in mind that Japanese people normally work 60 hours a week anyway, um, that is becoming, you know, there is a word in Japanese called koashi, which means to work once after death. And people do. 
So there is no choice. They have to automate. And that's probably why we've seen the huge adoption in the Japanese market that, that we have seen. And that will be replicated in all industrial and post-industrial nations over the next 20 years. So automation is just becoming a standard way for organizations to run their back office operations. And indeed, increasingly in the front office as well. And actually, that works really well. So if you think about the three main organizations in the market, there's a Blue Prism, there's Automation Anywhere, and there's UiPath. If Automation RPA is becoming the new BAU, that works quite well. B for Blue Prism, A for Automation Anywhere, and U for UiPath. Um, <clears throat> and actually, what we're seeing is that there's um, a move towards dealing with that unstructured data that is required in order to do end-to-end -end automation and spread it out throughout the organization. Um, and that requires those AI tools. So RPA and AI are not coming together. Actually, RPA is becoming just another AI tool. Um, computer vision is a good example of that, where it's, it looks at screens in the same way that humans do. Um, natural language processing, dealing with um, emails. So that's utterly unstructured data. One of our customers in South Africa is a company called Hollard, um, insurance business, um, and they're using a combination of natural language processing um, using Abby, um, which is a, an intelligent OCR organization, uh, using um, uh, uh, IBM Watson, um, and coordinated by um, RPA, actually from UiPath, and they're dealing with the four and a half million emails that come into their organization a year. 98% um, of that is now fully auto autonomous. So the, the, the skills required by the software in order to handle that data is actually quite complex. And, the, and they're achieving an 85% accuracy out of, the, out of the box. And in fact, the implementation partner, a company called Lark AI, um, actually has calculated that they have a 91% reduction in cost per transaction for those emails that come into the organization. So it's material, the difference it's making. Absolutely. I, I remember a former colleague who had, sort of, had a lovely sort of back and forth with a one Amanda Ingram, uh, which which we had a, a good laugh about when we realised that it was actually an AI bot that kept responding to it. Um, well, actually, there was um, uh, when when automation started a couple of years ago, and, and people didn't really understand what RPA was doing. Um, we had one case where a uh, where a customer had automated a number of their finance functions, um, and Chris, one employee of the month, not realising that Chris was actually a robot. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, I, I do want to move on to this sort of this, you know, diabolical Terminator-esque yep. robots going to take over the world. Yep. We've seen Deutsche Bank, the, the former Deutsche Bank CEO, claim that he's going to eliminate a certain number of job roles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Notice he says job roles. Yeah. Doesn't say people. Says job roles. Um, you've, you've mentioned financial services. You mentioned that your work with banks. Yeah. But so far, these are very generic sort of business use cases for operations. So where would you use RPA? Okay. So, okay, so so RPA, when it was created by Blue Prism, dealt, in fact, Blue Prism has now made the decision that they're going to stick to back office corporate functions, um, and that is unattended robots. Um, Automation Anywhere and us, and a number of other organizations like NICE, for instance, NICE focuses entirely on the front office. Um, the front office is agent augmentation. So the business case is different. So the business case for automation in the back office is to reduce headcount doing those operations. Now you said previously that the Deutsche Bank 
example was all about reducing headcount in those processes. Now, most of the business cases that are created to bring RPA into the organization are all predicated on that we want to reduce the headcount of our operation by 30, 40, 50%. They're all wrong. Because actually what happens is that once they put automation into their organization, they find that the value of their people, the value of their human capital is actually much higher than they thought it was. So the way I describe it is just because someone's doing a monkey job doesn't mean they're monkeys. And what it allows organizations to do is be much more agile and much more focused on the customer. So the link between the back office operations and the front office operations is that if you can increase the value of the people providing services to your customers, then you end up with happier customers. So an example of that is in the insurance market. So let's say you call your insurance company and um, you want to update your pet insurance uh, and then you want to go to your household or your motor or whatever it might be. Traditionally, you'd have to go between different departments. The attended robot will sit on the workstation or the laptop of the agent and by the time you've gone through security, the robot will have rushed off and got all of the information from all of the disparate systems in different departments, even if they don't talk to each other, bring it to the agent. So customer service improves, customer experience improves, and the ability to on-sell and up-sell much more effectively. So if back office is reducing headcount or reducing the headcount for those particular processes, that, that the robots do the work of between three and five people. Uh, actually, some organizations have gone to nine. Uh, but that's quite unusual. Whereas for the front office, it's on a one-to-one -one basis. That's why the back office robots are more expensive than the front office robots, because they're on one-to-one. -one. And we think, collectively, think that the ultimate end game for this is that in the same way that Bill Gates said that by, in, in the 80s, that every house will have its own computer and every desk and an office will have its own computer, um, we think that ultimately it's going to be that everyone will have their own robot. And that's the potential market for this RPA and, and, uh, and AI stuff. Um, and that automation first mentality, in the same way that there's been internet first and then mobile first and then cloud first, we think automation first will be the next big step over the next year, 18 months. Um, if you take Workday, you know, that's a, that's a 48 billion market cap business focused entirely on the HR stack. You take Salesforce, it's a 100 billion market cap business focused entirely on the CRM in sales and marketing. Um, for automation, for RPA plus AI, there is no limit. So an example of that is actually Admiral Insurance. Um, Admiral Insurance is a UK insurance business. Their headquarters are in Cardiff in Wales. And they've got um, a 12 stories in their, in their organization, in their, in their headquarters, with a different department on every floor. It's actually two stacks of six. Um, 20 months ago, Neil Davis, who runs that operation, started with one license, one UiPath robot. Now they have robots in 10 of their 12 departments. That's into corporate functions, so the back office, you know, finance and accounting, procurement, HR, into the industry-specific processing, so things like um, claims processing, first notice of loss, dealing with brokers, and indeed into the front office, so um, uh, customer service, um, call centers, and so on. And there's a difference between the back office unattended robots and the front office attended robots, which we, which we can come to. But that's how far it's spread within an organization. Now, at the moment, only 13% of our customers 
have spread it out that far. So the upside of where this could potentially go is just enormous. And actually, I think ultimately, we're going to see two things. We're going to see the number of people involved in running businesses, so the corporate functions, will reduce over time. Um, but I think we're going to see a concomitant increase in the number of people working on customer service because it's the customer service, the customer intimacy that's really going to differentiate organizations over the next five to ten years. And we can see that with the, with the, uh, with the new startup banks like Starling and Monzo and uh, N26 who are launching in the UK shortly. I mean, that customer service is critical to their success. Um, whereas the old traditional legacy banks haven't got that so much. I mean, you know, I've been with NatWest for 20 years. And I'm, you know, I won't move. I will still have my NatWest account, but their customer service isn't as good as those new startup banks. So within financial services, um, we started by telling the banks we could increase their efficiency and decrease their cost. Classic business case. Um, and basically they told us to go away because they had other things to worry about. Those other things to worry about was compliance and governance and meeting their regulatory requirements, which are becoming more onerous on a daily basis. So actually someone in one of our French customers, one of our French banking customers, said, can we use the robot that we've got for our finance and accounting to help meet our regulatory requirements in terms of know your customer, anti-money laundering, and now GDPR? And we said, yes, of course, because the robots can do multiple tasks. They're not tied to a particular task, so that the, the, the robots are actually um, process agnostic. So you can do that. And, and then we thought, actually, that's a really good idea, because that's where the focus of banks is at the moment, and financial institutions. So why don't we just switch that conversation? Which we did, and this was the start of um, 2017. We sold to five banks in two months just by switching that conversation, by saying, we can help you stop getting fined by the regulator. Now, interestingly enough, I went to see the SEC. Where do I sign? <laughs> yeah. I went to see the, um, the FCA and the, and the, and the um, SEC. And, um, uh, and I said, you know, are you happy with robots providing the information you need for the banks to meet? your requirements. Love the idea because it's fast, it's consistent, it's timely and it's auditable. That's another thing about robots yeah, is yeah. that every single step is auditable. Um, interestingly enough, they wouldn't look at machine learning. So they liked RPA because it was deterministic. They didn't like machine learning because the answer changes depending on the data set you're looking at. So the answer it gives today might be different from the answer it gives in six months time. So that will change over time as ML becomes more prevalent. But at the moment, they're very happy with RPA. Um, right, predictions. Okay. Uh, if I can get you, I mean, we're, we're getting fairly close to, uh, to Christmas. So, uh, yeah, it's I think, prediction time. I think, yeah, <laughs> I think we can start on about 2019. I, I can see that you have six predictions prepared for me, especially yeah. for Bob's Gun Payment Eye. Please run us through them. Okay, so, um, you know, with a codicil that, that making any prediction is a mugs game, um, and I'm almost certainly going to be wrong, um, there, are, there are six predictions that I, I think we're going to see in, for both RPA and AI uh, next year. Number one is that attended, in other words, front office robots are going to accelerate past back office robots next year. Um, we're nearly there now. So last year, 2017, um, the ratio was 70-30. So 70% unattended, 30% attended. Today, that's 54-46. So I think by the end of 2018, we're going to be at that 50-50 mark. And then next year, I think we're going to see the rise of attended robots sitting on people's systems, helping them to do their day-to-day -day job, taking away 
the inverted commas shitty crappy bits of their <laughs> job that they don't want to do that they have to do to do their job and helping them to do the stuff that they do want to do um, prediction two is that RPA and the public sector around the world will explode next year most of that will be attended by the way um, governments have woken up to the fact that they can't outsource anymore they can't offshore anymore because it's politically inexpedient and um, they will automate as much as they possibly can not to reduce the headcount, but to provide better services to citizens. That citizen-centric services, providing more for less, is something that really can be delivered by RPA and AI. Um, prediction three is that, as I mentioned, the RPA business cases based around headcount reduction will be replaced by business cases built around employee engagement. In fact, we're doing some work right now with Dave Johnson, who's one of the leading um, analysts at Forrester, on exactly this. Um, Dave has worked out and has proven that there is, and it makes sense, that there is uh, improved employee engagement leads to improved customer service. When you think about it, happier employees are going to be better when dealing with customers. Actually, there's a really good quote from a guy called Carl Nolan, who was the chief executive of Generali, Link. Generali is big Italian insurance business, 80 billion euro turnover. Their Irish business um, automated a number of their tasks. And he said, the mood music within our organization has changed since we put in automation. We have happier employees, and we now measure our service in terms of compliments rather than complaints. That's nothing to do with technology. That is all to do with culture change. Mm. So the sooner organizations wake up to the fact that employee engagement, improved employee engagement, is good and more beneficial than reducing headcount, the faster the adoption rate will happen. And it's how automation business cases should be built. Sure. It's a bit wish fulfillment on my part, I have to admit. But <laughs> you know, happier employees means happier customers who buy more. It's essentially that. Um, prediction four, um, and I preface this by saying I spent the last 20 years before coming into automation in outsourcing. My prediction is that in 2019, outsourcing will die. Outsourcing has been dying over the last few years, um, but I think we'll see a catastrophic fall in the number of new deals being signed. Uh, and I think that anyone anywhere near a break class will use it. Um, these organizations are not changing top-down. They still measure themselves by the number of people in their organization, particularly the Indian-based uh, BPA providers. However, these organizations are changing bottom-up. The evidence of that is that 9% of our revenues, of UiPath revenues, comes from India. But in our training academy, which are free training for everyone, 60% um, of the people who have gone through the course, of the 200,000 people who have gone through the courses, 60% are based in India. So these organizations, the people sitting within the outsourcing companies, within the system integration companies, and within the shared service captive operations, are training themselves in RPA because they know that their job is either going to get eliminated entirely or is going to change beyond all recognition. And that's why I think outsourcing will die. Um, prediction five, um, AI will start to become mainstream. So in... March, I did a webinar um, with about 800 people on the call, um, all of them using RPA. And I asked them the question, what are you doing with AI? And I gave them four answers. Nothing, 
at POC, pilot stage, uh, proof of concept stage, in production or extensively? The answers to the percentage points were almost exactly the same as where we were with RPA two years ago. Does that mean that it's going to take another two years for these AI tools to become as prevalent as RPA is? No, I think it's going to be faster than that. I think in the next 12 to 18 months, we're going to see as much adoption of AI in organizations as we've seen RPA today. Um, and my sixth prediction is a bit of a cheeky one, um, is that analysts will still massively underestimate the growth. Um, I mean, the figures don't lie. Gartner have predicted a 41% compound annual growth rate, CAGA. Um, Everest can't even decide between themselves, between 75 and 90%. Um, and HFS, Horses for Sources, which I mentioned, 31%. Um, Forrester, 63%. Um, bearing in mind that Automation Anywhere and Blue Prism are also growing massively, um, our UiPath growth, CAGA, over the last three years has been 480%. So, you know, everyone underestimates growth in the short term and overestimates, sorry, overestimates in the short term and underestimates in the long term. It's happening so fast that um, I just can, can see growth happening, continuing to be, at least for the time being, almost exponential. No one ever gets exponential growth, but almost <laughs> exponential. Um, and I do have a cheeky seventh, actually. Um, oh, go on. Yeah. Uh, actually, I was talking to Cathy Torbaum, who's, um, who's one of the lead analysts at uh, Gartner. Um, and, and she came up with this one, um, so I'll blame her. Um, she said that, that um, BPM, Business Process Management, um, is going to be subsumed into RPA, not the other way around. Um, we thought that the business process management organizations were going to acquire RPA capabilities. Now, some of them already have. So SAP, for instance, has just acquired Contexta, uh, which is a French um, challenger RPA. And those challenger RPA organizations will continue to get snapped up by, I think, by organizations. But I think ultimately, BPM and RPA are going to come together. And it's actually going to be driven by the RPA organizations, not by the BPM companies. Um, now, that's fairly, fairly um, controversial, but we'll wait and see on that one. Fantastic. Well, Guy, thank you. Thank you very much for taking the time out to talk with me today. Uh, I've been Dave Beach. That was Guy Kirkwood, Chief Evangelist at UiPath, and this has been your FinTalk podcast.